we have the scoops of having someone in our that's speaking for us. Um, Rabbi Shanker is uh, a tremendous gift of, uh, just uh, to our community since he he's been he came into the he's been in the neighborhood for a long longer longer than he's been here in the five towns in terms of the young Israel of Woodmere. But just his presence here in Israel of Woodmere has just been an extraordinary schus for us in our neighborhood. Uh, the elevation of the Limit Torah that goes on through the young Israel of Woodmere and to a large extent is uh, through his, his efforts. Uh, the impact he has having on the membership of the five, just, not just the young Israel of Woodmere, just, just the people in the neighborhood. Uh, the impact that he has on, on people uh, that are not just, you know, the, the Hamonam people, and then you have the people of uh, the higher scholarship individuals who have uh, this was of listening to him and being and, and and gleaning from his from his wisdom, and so it's certainly a schus for us here to uh, to welcome Rabbi Shechter again. He spoke here with us last year. Extraordinarily, we were truly inspired. <coughs> And we ask him again to speak to us on the sincerely yearning for Gula in the schus of Yecheskel where Chayim Yitzvah Chayim Mal Vashem. Thank you, Rabbi Frankel. It's a uh, real covered Gadol to be here. And uh, no greater reason to be somewhere than to spread Torah and to try to be inspired together. So I thank the Greenblatts for putting this beautiful evening together. I thank them for having me back. Uh, I guess last year I didn't end too much after the scheduled time. So I'm happy that I was not uh, penalized for that. And we hope that our Divrei Torah this evening should be not only an inspiration for all of us, but also a schus uh, for Mr. Harold Greenblatt on his 47th yard site. Yecheskel ben Yitzchak Chaim Alav HaShalom. We hope that he will have an Aliyah Sanashama from our Divrei Torah. Uh, what better thing to talk about during the nine days than Geula, than sincerely thinking about a Geula. If you look through the davening, there is nothing that we speak about more than our return to Eretz Yisrael. We talk about it so often throughout the pages of the Siddur. We say, so many times throughout the davening, not only in the Shemona Esrei, but throughout the pages of the Siddur, you will find a focus on this. If you look in Parshas Bechukosai, the Torah writes, in the midst of many of the terrible forecasting, the prophecies of what will happen to the Jewish people, and we're told about the agonizing details of the Tochacha and everything that's going to befall the Jewish people, and at some point, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, when all of that is going on, Vishavarti as Gaon Uzchem. And I will destroy your pride and glory. Now, what exactly is our pride and glory? Rashi there writes, what does it mean? Vishavarti is go'on uzchem. HaKadosh Baruch Hu tells us that the pride and glory of your life, of every Jew's life, is the Beis HaMikdash. It's not your house. It's not your car. It's not your community. It's not everything else we have. It's not your vacations. Your pride and glory has to be the Beis Hamikdash, and in its absence, we begin to have an understanding of how lacking we are without this experience of Beis Hamikdash. Now, because we never had it in our generation, it's hard to even understand what it is that we're missing, what it is that we're lacking. But let's just look a little bit what Chazal tell us about a yearning for a geula, about that time when we come back 
to a Beis Hamikdash. First of all, before we get to Chazal, not that we should do anything before we talk about Chazal, but I just want to share a story that I was so inspired by a couple of years ago. And I recently shared it in another public forum, but I think it's such an inspirational message. All of us have heard of Natan Sharansky. Natan Sharansky is a great Jew who uh, was Moser Nefesh for his love for Eretz Yisrael. And Natan Sharansky told the following story about three years ago. In Yerushalayim, he spoke on one occasion, and he was talking about the love of Eretz Yisrael and the love of Yerushalayim. And he said that about eight years before he was arrested, there was a woman by the name of Silva Zalmanson. She was one of the early refuseniks. And she was part of a group of people, a couple of men, a couple of women, who had joined together, and they decided that they were going to hijack a plane, and they were going to take this plane and fly to Eretz Yisrael. That was the plan. And they had a number of engineers, former pilots, they had all of this planned out for two years. They were going through all the planning stages, how they're going to do it perfectly. The only problem was, what they didn't realize, was that at the very beginning, the KGB was in on it from day one. And the KGB was following every conversation, the KGB had their spies listening in, and in the end, when they all showed up on the runway to hijack the plane, the KGB was waiting for them, they were all arrested and thrown into prison. They had some kind of kangaroo court, and they have this Silva Zalmanson was being put up to trial. At the end of this mock trial, whatever they had, the judge turns to her and says, Mrs. Zalmanson, is there anything you'd like to share with all those in the room before we lock you up? And she says, yes. My final parting words to everyone here is, You can take me away. Eight years later, Natan Sharansky was arrested. Same kind of thing. He wasn't hijacking a plane, but for his love of Eretz Yisrael, for his love of the Jewish people. And at the end of his trial, the judge turns to him and says, Mr. Sharansky, or whatever his Russian name was, what would you like to say to everyone in the room before we lock you up? Solitary confinement. And Natan Sharansky turned to him and he said, to all those sitting here in the room, I have nothing to say because you won't be here. You're not going to live on for eternity. But all I can say is to every Jew in the world who may be watching this, all I can tell all of you is L'shana Habab Yerushalayim. Natan Sharansky was asked three years ago, why is that what you chose to talk about? Why did Silva Zalmanson say Why did you say It had nothing to do with the discussion. And he said, the honest explanation is because a Jew will never live on for eternity. No human being can live on for eternity. My father always told us as children, it's not his line, he says it from someone else, I just can't remember who, that the cemetery is full of all the indispensable people. That's what he always told us. Nobody lives forever. Everybody knows that there's a finite amount of time that we're going to be here. But what gives a person hope and faith to know that they're going to have some kind of eternal, everlasting imprint connection to the world? Natan Sharansky said, when I was going, about to be thrown into solitary confinement, assuming that I was going to live out the rest of my life in jail if I'm not going to be murdered there, the only thing that gave me hope was that Netzach Yisrael lo Yishaker, that the Jewish people are going to live on, and the only way that's going to happen is when we think about our connection to Eretz Yisrael and Yerushalayim. That is what has kept the Jewish people alive. It's the reason why the Gemara says we face Yerushalayim when we daven wherever we are in the world. It's the reason why we have a mitzvah of Aliyah Regal. It's a mitzvah why we have so many focused 
mitzvos that remind us about what it means to be a part, to be a Jew who aspires to be a part of the life of Eretz Yisrael, even if we don't have the opportunity to do so now. And that, said Natan Sharansky, is what gave me hope. I may not outlive this, but I know the Jewish people are going to outlive it. And the land of Eretz Yisrael and the city of Yerushalayim are going to be something that will define the essence of the future of the Jewish people. So this is something that has been our focus for thousands of years. It's something that we know the Jewish people have held on to, the Jewish people have thought about, and it's something that we need to think about as well, not only during this period of the year, but certainly we have to make an extra focus during this time of the year as we think about Geula and the pains of what it means to be a member of Galus as we experience it today. Chazal tell us in Masech HaShabbos a very interesting discussion there, that when a person is going to have that very uncomfortable conversation with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Now, what exactly is going to be part of that conversation, asked the Gemara. What is HaKadosh Baruch Hu going to ask us? What are those questions going to sound like? Now, if I was the Rebona Shalom, I would come up with a list of questions that are important to me. What I find fascinating about this Gemara is, I don't think I ever would have chosen any of these questions that HaKadosh Baruch Hu chooses to ask all of us. It's not a chisaron in the Rebona Shalom. It's a chisaron in us. It means the things that are important to us are obviously not the things, or to me, may not be the things that match up in importance to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So the first question says the Gemara, Omrim Lo, they ask you, Nasata v'nasata be'amuna. Did you, leave an, did you live a lifestyle that was upstanding, that was honest, that was honorable? Did you treat other people with respect? Were you mindful of their feelings, of their money? Were you an honest businessman? That's the first question that HaKadosh Baruch Hu asks every single person. Amazing. Second question asked the Gemara, Kavata itim la Torah. Did you make Torah a priority in your life? Now, of course, everybody has to go and make a pranasa, and people are busy, and that is why the Gemara tells us we make a birchas Torah in the morning. Rabbi Natam discusses how do you not make another birchas Torah at night when you go out to work? The answer is because even if I'm busy during the day and I'm out at work, my mind is always focused on kviyas itim la Torah. Unfortunately, I have to take off a couple of hours during the day, but of course, when I'm done with work, I come back to the Rabbi Shir, I come back to learn the Dafyomi, I come back and I make sure that a kviyas itim la Torah is something that is extremely important to me and I never break it. Says the Gemara, that's question number two. Question number three asks the Gemara, and you'll notice the way it's phrased, Asakta b'piria v'erivia. Doesn't say, did you have children? It says, Asakta, did you try to have children? Unfortunately, not everybody has the opportunity to get married. People can try. Doesn't always work for everyone. Even those who get married, not everybody is given the blessing of having children. Even those who have children, not everybody has the schus of those children surviving. Some people go through terrible tragedies in their lives and are challenged. So the fact that I don't have children is not something that the Rebona Shalom can hold against me. But the question is, Asakta Bepiri did you try to have children? Did you attempt to bring children into the world? If it turns out that it didn't work, that's not your fault. But HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants to know, did we sincerely make an effort to bring children into the world? And finally, ask the Gemara Tzipisa Yeshua. Did you aspire to the days of a Geula? Did you think about what it means to be a part of Geula? Now, I find this very interesting. 
Because who wouldn't want to be a part of the times of Mashiach? Everybody wants a Geula. And when I think about it, the answer to that in my mind is really not as simple as it sounds. If all of us were told tonight that it's time to drop everything we have, our professions, our houses, everything that we have here, you're not going to be able to bring anything with you. And you have to get on the next flight to go to Eretz Yisrael because Mashiach has arrived. I think in theory we all say, of course, we want to experience a geula. But in practicality, it's not so simple. So much so, when you had the Jewish people being oppressed in Mitzrayim, and then HaKadosh Baruch Hu brought all of the Eser Makos, V'yedatem ki ani Hashem, it was so clear that HaKadosh Baruch Hu was Melech HaOlam, that HaKadosh Baruch Hu was looking after the Jewish people. There was no denying at that point. And with all of that, what are we told? The Chamushim Alu B'nei Yisrael Me'eretz Mitzrayim, says Rashi, quoting the Medrash. What does it mean? That only one-fifth of the Jewish people left Mitzrayim. That means 80% of the people could not connect with this idea of Geula. They couldn't connect to it. It made no sense to them. Well, what do you mean? You want to stay in Mitzrayim? These are your oppressors. You want to stay in America? Again, America is golden in Medina. America has done such amazing things for us. I'm not equating America and Mitzrayim. But look at where the state of our country is right now. Look at where the theology of our country is headed. Look at the political mess that our country is in. Look what's happening. And yet, it was a thousand times worse than Mitzrayim and four-fifths of the Jewish people could not connect to this concept of Geula. And they stayed behind. So it's a serious question. See, peace of the Yeshua is a real challenge. Of course, in theory, we're able to imagine what a Geula would look like, but in practicality, are we prepared to be a part of the story of Geula? There's a Rambam that maybe is not learned too often. The Rambam, we rely on the Rambam for everything. But the Rambam in Hilchus Melachim is probably one of the sets of halachas that we don't learn that often. Because the Rambam there is describing many of the halachas that are not so relevant today. He's talking about how is a king supposed to act and behave and how does he set it all up. Now we don't have a Malchus based David, so it's not really relevant. The Rambam there discusses what happens in Achris Hayamim and how is all this going to play out. The Rambam there writes an amazing line in Perak Yud Aleph and Hilchus Melachim, Halacha Aleph. Kol mi she'en omam in bo, says the Rambam. Anybody who doesn't believe in the coming of Mashiach. Okay, now that's none of us. Of course, we all believe. We say the Animamans. Everybody believes in the coming of Mashiach. But listen to the next phrase of the Rambam and look what he lumps together. Two groups of people. Kol mi she'en omam in bo. Anyone who doesn't believe in the coming of Mashiach and the possibility of a geula. Or, says the Rambam, Those are grouped together. Number one, somebody who doesn't believe in a geula. Number two, somebody who does not anticipate. Says the Rambam, those two groups of people are the same. Those two groups of people are the same. And what does the Rambam say about those people? It's not just that you are rejecting all of the Nevi'im that spoke about Achris Hayamim, that told us we should look forward to this, but you are a kofer b'toras Moshe Rabbeinu. That's a strong statement. The Rambam does not say that somebody who eats chazer on Yom Kippur in the Kodesh Kadashim is a kofer b'toras Moshe Rabbeinu. Now, I can't imagine the Rambam would ever imagine that somebody would do such a thing. But still, 
The Ramam does not say that you're a kofar b'toros Moshe Rabbeinu when you do other things that are wrong. There are plenty of horrible averis, but here says the Rambam, somebody who doesn't believe in the possibility of being a geula, but beyond that, somebody who's in a mechake lebiyoso. On that says the Rambam, you're a kofar b'toros Moshe Rabbeinu. It's a very startling statement, a very powerful statement. But it tells us a little bit about how important this is to think about a geula. You know, we're here together learning Torah tonight in a schus for a yard site. I wasn't around 47 years ago, but I wonder, 47 years ago, is this what people were doing in memory of their parents? I would imagine not. In so many different ways, achshur dura. We live in such a blessed generation where there's such a proliferation of Torah, where people are learning all the time. You know, I found, I found it so inspiring. I never took the Long Island Railroad till this year. I started to teach in Stern College this year, so I had to take the Long Island Railroad in. And I see people all the time learning on the train. It's, I'm sure it goes on every day, but it's just amazing to me to see that people are, some people are doing other things, but some of the people are sitting there and learning. And there's a Dafiomi Shir on the, on the train and Look what's going on. Look at our generation. Look how many Torah websites there are. Look at all the shuls that have shiurim at nights and people are coming for men and for women and Shabbos. It's amazing. Achshur Dara, look how much Torah learning there is. I don't know Jewish history well enough, but I would venture to say there has never been so much limit on Torah in the history of the Jewish people. I don't know how it could be. This never was the style that every single Jewish family has access to Torah study. It's just never the way it was. It used to be that the upper echelons of society had the opportunity to learn. Everybody else was illiterate, and that was it. That's the way it remained. If you were lucky, your parents hired a malamid for you. If you were lucky, you went to some yeshiva later on in history. But outside of those lucky few individuals, everybody else was left in the dark. People did not know how to read. People didn't know how to learn. And we live in a generation where this is just an amazing phenomenon. And that's why I feel this comment of the Medrash that I'm about to quote is speaking to our generation. Says the Medrash. Amar HaKadosh Baruch Hu Tzadikim. HaKadosh Baruch Hu has a conversation with the Tzadikim and he says, Lo yafe asisem shechivavtem litorasi velo chivavtem lemalchusi. You have shown such a love and a dedication and an admiration for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. You adore the Ribbon Shalolam. You come to shul three times a day. You know, yesterday I was being uh, Menachem Avel by somebody, and they told me, we remember the young Israel of Woodmere when they used to knock on doors to get a minion for Shachar's Minchamarev every day. Can you imagine? Can you imagine in this community where every single block there's a shul and every single shul is full and every single shul has Minyanim three times a day and they're not knocking on anybody's doors? It's amazing. We've come to a place where we love the Ribbon Shalom. Look. Look at what we do. Look at how we express ourselves. Look at how much we're willing to give for our Kaddish Baruch Hu. Look at the institutions that our generation has built. Hisnari me'afar kumi. Look where we came from and look where we are. What an amazing phenomenon. But yet, says the Medrash HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, it's all nice, it's all beautiful, but lo chivavtem lemalchusi. You've connected to my Torah. You felt a tremendous aspiration to become a great Torah giant. But lo chivavtem lemalchusi. You don't care for HaKadosh Baruch Hu's Malchus to be back in the world. That is the Beis HaMikdash, that's Yerushalayim. And the Medrash quoting HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, that's a tremendous hold, that's a big deficiency in the Jewish people. You can learn Torah all you want and it's great and we shouldn't stop. But at the same time, don't forget that the ultimate aspiration of a Jew is 
to be mechavev, the malchus of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to ask and to want that with a yearning, with a chuka. There's a fascinating comment that the Medrash makes as well. Yitzchak Avinu, I don't know why it's Yitzchak in particular, and not Avram or Yaakov, I'm sure there's a good interpretation, but the Medrash writes, at the time of the Churban Beis Amigdash, Yitzchak goes and pleads with HaKadosh Baruch Hu and he says, you're destroying the Beis Amigdash, you're throwing the Jewish people out, what's going to be? Shema ein chazara lebanim? Maybe the Jewish people will never come back to Eretz Yisrael. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says no. If there will be a generation that will sincerely, enthusiastically want me to come back, of course I'll come back. That's all that's needed. Now when I read that Medrash, I was so startled. I was startled because the Medrash almost makes it sound like it's in our hands. HaKadosh Baruch Hu is allowing us to make that decision. A couple of years after I saw this medrash, I read an amazing story. I'm sure the story is printed in other places, but the place that I saw it is, somebody bought me a set of Svarim on Chumash from Rav Gamliel Rabinovich in Yerushalayim. And he has, it's called Tiv HaMaisen. And he has stories on every parsha. Interesting. I, I shouldn't say interesting. I only read one story on one parsha, and it happened to be very interesting. And then I haven't had a chance to open it since, but I'm sure it's all great. And he quotes an amazing story there about the Beis HaLevi. The Beis HaLevi was the father of the Brisker dynasty. He was the father of Chaim Salavechik. Rav Chaim revolutionized Torah learning in all the yeshivas from the time that he came onto the scene. The Torah world has never been the same. And he was the father, the Beis HaLevi was the father of this amazing Brisker dynasty. The Beis HaLevi originally was living in a small town. He was living in Warsaw. He was a very humble man. And they very much wanted him to move to Brisk to become the Rav Ha'ir, to become the Rav of the town. And they were trying to send messages. Eh, he said it's not for him. On one occasion, they sent the Rashi Hakal from Brisk to travel to Warsaw and to have a real conversation with him about some kind of negotiation, how they can get him to come and move himself and his family to take the position in Brisk as the Rav Ha'ir. They weren't sure exactly what to say. They told him they're going to give him money. He said, I don't care about money. They told him we're going to give you a lot of covet. He said, I don't need the covet. I'm fine. Everything's doing okay here. I'm doing my thing. Just leave me alone. Let me stay here. Finally, the Rosh HaKol stood up. He's trying to figure out how's he going to convince him. And he turns to the Beis HaLevi and he says, you know, in our community, in Brisk, we were sent, this delegation here was sent on behalf of 10,000 Jews who live in Brisk. And those 10,000 Jews have sent us to bring you as their Rav Ha'ir. They all sent us sincerely because they want you to be the Rav. You're going to say no to 10,000 people? The Beis HaLevi ended the conversation. He said, there's nothing more to discuss. I'm packing up my family and I'm going to come to Brisk. And that's what happened. And the rest is history. When the Chafetz Chaim heard that story... Chafetz Chaim began to cry. And he said, the Beis HaLevi was probably an amazing Baal Chesed, a very sensitive person. I'm sure he loved and respected people very much. But do you think that he loved and respected people more than HaKadosh Baruch Hu? Probably not. Let's say the Beis HaLevi got 100 on the Chesed Award, right? He was 100% Chesed. The Ribbon Shalom would be a million on the, on the test, right? The Ribbon Shalom is doing chesed all day long, helping everybody, loves every single human being, loves the Yaman 
So said the Chafetz Chaim. If the Beis HaLevi said, I can't say no to 10,000 people's request, so then that means, if 10,000 Jews stood up and said to the Rebona Shalom, we want a Geula, you think HaKadosh Baruch Hu would say no? You think he's less generous than the Beis HaLevi was? What does it mean, said the Chafetz Chaim? It means that we don't have 10,000 Jews in the world who actually care about a Geula. Because if there were, there's no way HaKadosh Baruch Hu would ever say no. What an amazing story. What an amazing perspective. And this is actually how the Chafetz Chaim lived every day of his life. The stories are told in many different svarim about the Chafetz Chaim, how he always lived with a little suitcase. He really believed Mashiach was coming. The story is told that the Chafetz Chaim did not have furniture in his home because he said, when you go to a hotel, you don't bring furniture along. You go to the hotel, you have a bed, you have a little desk, and that's it. Why would you bring furniture if you're only staying there temporarily? So why would I buy furniture? I'm not going to be here for a long time. A couple of years ago, somebody in Farakaway gave me an amazing tiny little safer that he put out with Mechtavim from his grandfather, Rabaron Walken. Rabaron Walken was a Talmud of the Chafetz Chaim, and he put out many of the unpublished letters, not many, it's like probably 50 letters in there, short letters of the Chafetz Chaim that were not published anywhere else. So I skimmed through the safer and I found a number of letters that were so amazing. But one of them that I saw just really hit me. The Chafetz Chaim writes to uh, somebody else about an experience that he had had that day. And he records how there were two businessmen in his town in Radin who had come to him that they had made up together that they were going to begin some kind of business venture with each other. And they figured out exactly how they were going to split the profits and they wrote up, they drew up a contract of exactly every possible situation and scenario that can ever come up in your wildest dreams. So they wrote, what happens if there's a fire in the store and everything gets ruined? Who has to pay? And what happens if my wife gets sick? If your wife gets sick? If I die? If you die? If a child? This, that? What happens if I have to go out of town and I'm not going to be able to show up to the business for a few weeks? Every single possibility that you can ever imagine was in a contract, which is good. It's the responsible thing to do because this way, there's no ambiguity. This way, if anything happens, they know exactly how to handle it. Everybody knows what to do. And that was the safest way to go into this business venture. You know, just a couple of weeks ago, just to sidetrack for a moment, there was a, a rub in New Jersey who called me with the following shayla. It was amazing. He said that there was a balabas in his community who had, made, who had planned to make a bar mitzvah in Eretz Yisrael for his son. He was planning to go just for Shabbos from Thursday night to Sunday night. They were going to just go as a small family. They were going to have some kind of big celebration in the old city in Yerushalayim just for the family. And then they were going to come back and on Monday night they were going to have a bar mitzvah for the community here. So he tells me that he sent an email to an Airbnb in Yerushalayim, in the old city of Yerushalayim, to rent an apartment for the weekend when he's going to be there with his family. Fine. They made up. They were going to rent it for a certain price. Everything sounded great. And the Balabayas, the owner of the house, told him, I'm going to meet you on Thursday afternoon after you land. I'm going to be there at the apartment to greet you. I'll give you the keys and everything you need. And uh, you're all set. Fine. Comes Thursday afternoon. He doesn't show up. Sends an email to the person here in America. You know, what happened? Where are you? We made up you're going to rent the apartment. He didn't show up. Writes to him, no, I'm not renting the apartment this week. I'm renting the apartment next week. He says, next week? I have somebody who's renting the apartment next week. It's not set aside for you. So what happened? When they exchanged the emails, the only thing that he wrote in the email was, I want it for Shabbos, Parshas, whatever that was, Pinchas. Eretz Yisrael was one Shabbos ahead. He didn't think that in Eretz Yisrael they're going to be one Shabbos ahead. So here you have two Jews who made an honest mistake. There was no date in the email. 
There was no other identifying characteristic. The only thing he wrote is, my son's bar mitzvah parsha is Parsha's Pinchas. We're going to be going to Eretz Yisrael for the bar mitzvah. It turns out it was the wrong Shabbos. So it's an interesting Shiloh. What are you supposed to do? It's an honest mistake on both of their parts. And I said to my father when I was talking to him about it, really, is that reasonable that somebody signs a contract without writing a date, without writing anything else other than the Parsha? It sounds to me like it's very negligent. So he wasn't sure. He said, you know, two Jews. How else are you going to refer to it? Yom Echad B'Shabbos, Yom Sheni B'Shabbos. The way we're supposed to count is by the Hebrew date and by the Parsha. That's okay. So he felt it was an honest mistake on both of their parts. Why should the Ben Eretz Yisrael think that in America they're a Parsha off? And why should the Ben America think that, uh, that in Eretz Yisrael they're off? The point being, it's always better to have everything laid out as clearly as possible. So here, the Chafetz Chaim wrote how he was amazed at these two businessmen who literally drew up a contract and had everything in there. But he said he was so disheartened when he read this contract. And he turns to both of them and he says, I don't understand. You don't have a clause in here. What happens when Mashiach comes and we're going to shut down the business and move to Eretz Yisrael? Who's going to take the loss? Is that less of a possibility in your mind than your wife dying, than his wife dying, than the lightning coming and striking the, the business? All of that is less of a possibility than Mashiach? How could that not have made it into the contract? How did you miss that? And the Chafetz Chaim said it's because people are simply not thinking enough about what exactly it means to have a geula and how important and central it is to think about our return to Eretz Yisrael. The Chafetz Chaim has a letter where he writes, you know, the Navi says one of the qualifications of being a Jew, one of the great qualities of the Jewish people is, She'eris Yisrael lo yasu avla v'lo yidabru kazav. We're honest people. Or at least it's the way it's supposed to be. We're supposed to be honest people. And that was always something that was a pride of the Jewish people. Lo yidabru kazav. Jewish people don't say things that are not true. You always tell the truth. Says the Chafetz Chaim, Nu, we know that human beings sometimes are not so careful about it. Every once in a while they lie, a little bit here, a little bit there, they bend the truth. So why do we do that? Says the Chafetz Chaim, we do it because we want to gain something. So you don't file your tax returns exactly how you should. Why? Because you think you're going to get away with it and you think the government is not really going to catch you. They have millions of other people to worry about. I'm not such a big fish. All right, not a big deal. People lie. People lie about little things here and there. You bang your car into somebody else in the parking lot. Eh, do you always leave a note? That doesn't really matter. They don't really care. What do you mean? They, 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 of course it matters. That's not honest. Okay. Once in a while, people do something that's not completely honest because they think they're going to get away with it. Why do they think they're going to get away with it? Because human beings don't know everything. So how is this person going to know that I'm telling something that's not true? But if I was talking to the Ribbona Shalolam, would I ever lie? I wouldn't lie to the Ribbona Shalolam. The Ribbona Shalolam knows everything. HaKadosh Baruch Hu knows what we're thinking. He knows how we feel. HaKadosh Baruch Hu knows exactly what happened. So what, are you going to lie to him? Of course, nobody would ever lie to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That doesn't make sense. Writes the Chafetz Chaim, I'm going to read you his words. How could it be, he says, Im Kain, he says, if that's the case, that we would never lie to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. He says, if that's the case, Yifla Eifa Me'od. He says, then I have a great question that bothers me. And what is that question? Says the Chafetz Chaim, how do we say Aleinu L'Shabeach three times a day, Shachris, Mincha, and Mayrif? 
Why not? He says, you look in the second paragraph and what do we say? You know God, you know what keeps me up at night. HaKadosh Baruch what keeps me up at night is the fact that I'm yearning for something. All I want in my life is to be able to see the glory of HaKadosh Baruch will be restored to Yerushalayim. I challenge you. I'm sure everybody in the room has been to Eretz Yisrael, I hope. But I'm sure when you walk the streets of Yerushalayim, did it ever cross your mind when you passed a mosque or a church? Not on the Harabais. But anywhere in Yerushalayim, does it really bother you that there are Gilulim, that there's Avodah all around the city of Yerushalayim? No, we don't even pay attention. I'm going about my business, I'm going to the places I want to visit, I'm getting together with my friends, I'm going out to a restaurant, I'm going to Davin, I'm going to a kever. Everything else is not relevant to me. I'm not thinking about it. It's somebody else's problem to take care of that somehow. Says the Chavetz Chaim, you stand up in front of the Rebbe Shalom every day, three times a day, and you lie to his face? This is what I look forward to. What do I look forward to? Liras Meheira I hope we'll get to a time when we'll be able to see the Teferis, the great grandeur and glory of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, when he'll get rid of all the Abedah Zarah, and when we're all going to come back, says the Chavetz Chaim, do you really mean that? You really think about that? When you go to visit Eretz Yisrael, is it something you even think about then? Probably not. Says the Chavetz Chaim, it's something we need to start thinking about. You know, I've asked young members of our community. We talk so often about the coming of Mashiach. I'm going to end Marv's 9.10, five minutes. He told me last year I went over time. I'm going to be careful. We talk so often about the coming of Mashiach. I've asked young members of our community, why do you want Mashiach to come? What do you think is going to happen? You get all kinds of different answers, interesting answers. But what I've noticed is Anytime something terrible happens in the world, somebody gets diagnosed with some kind of terrible machala, somebody loses a child, terrible, terrible yisurim. What is the knee-jerk reaction of people in our community? Oh, we need Mashiach. We need Mashiach. And I always wonder, so what's going to happen when Mashiach comes? Anybody here in the medical profession? No? You know, in the young Israel Woodmere, if you call out, I need a doctor, they start saying, which kind? <laughs> so, you have doctors and nurses. What do they plan to do after Mashiach comes? They're going to go out of business? We always say when somebody gets sick, oh, we need Mashiach. Means the implication is when Mashiach comes, no one's going to get sick, right? I don't know. I'm not sure. The Rambam says, Olam Kimen Noeg. The Rambam says when Mashiach comes, everything's going to be the same. The only difference is going to be Shibud Malchios Bovav. We're going to have our own government that's going to be run Al Pi Chuke Torah. We're going to have Malchus based David and Avim again, all of that. But otherwise, Olam Kimen Haganoik. The other Rishonim disagree. Not clear exactly. If I'm, if I'm not mistaken, I think the Rambam writes this is one of the aspects of life where when we get there, we'll figure out what it's like. Until then, it's hard to really project into the future what it's going to be like. But we talk incessantly about the coming of Mashiach. Why do we want Mashiach? Why do we want a Geula? So the Dubna Magid gives an unbelievable mashal to understand it. He says there was once a young child who was invited to a wedding for the first time. He has no idea what this is. He's so excited. He's getting ready for weeks to go to this wedding. Finally, he shows up. 
And he walks in and he sees that there's a very large room with chairs all around. Everybody's sitting on two sides of the aisle. He sees there's a big white carpet down the middle with a big canopy at the end. So he walks right down the aisle, steps under the canopy. He sees there's a young man and a young woman standing there. So he taps the young man on the shoulder. He says, you know, I'm looking around at this room. Everybody seems to be very happy. But for some reason, you seem much happier than everybody else. Why? And the young man turns to him and he says, well, I'm the chassan. Of course I'm happier. And he says, I beg your pardon, but I really don't know what exactly it means. I've never been to anything like this. What does it mean to be the chassan? He says, well, you know, I'm the one getting married now. He says, yeah, yeah, but I really don't know what that means. So he says, you know why I'm happy? You see this tuxedo that I'm wearing? Never worn a tuxedo in my life and I got a new pair of shoes and these beautiful uh, cufflings that I have. And look at this band. Look at this food we're serving here. It's amazing. Why shouldn't I be happy? Look what I have here. And all my friends, this is great. Okay. Turns to the young woman standing right next to him and he says, you know, I'm looking around at all the women in here, but for some reason you seem much happier than everybody else. Can you tell me why? He says, well, I'm the Kala. He says, well, I don't even know what that means. And she says, well, I was here at four o'clock in the morning to start my makeup and the hair and this gown. We've been working with the seamstress for months to make this gown. I feel like a princess. Amazing. Look at this jewelry that I have. You know, we got the singer of my dreams to come tonight and sing at my wedding. Look what's happening here. It's amazing. Ask the Dubna Magid, how long do you imagine that marriage is going to last? (laughs) If at the height of their excitement, if at the moment of their commitment to each other, the only thing they're thinking about is the makeup and the gown and the shoes and the jewelry and everything else, they're missing the essence of why this is happy, of why this is an exciting time. While it's true, none of us have ever been to a wedding that didn't have any of those things. It's true. Every kala wears a gown, and every chassan has his, his whatever he has. And every wedding has food at it. And every wedding has music and a singer. But that's not the essence of why we're here. The essence of why we're excited is because I'm about to commit myself to live the rest of my life with this person who I love more than anyone else in the world. This is a person who I respect. This is a person who I am excited to spend every single experience for the rest of my life with. It's a person who I'm going to go through the journey of life together with. That's why I'm excited. Because I'm committing myself to that relationship. Says the Dubna Magad, when people think about a Geula, so they believe money's going to fall from the trees, no one's going to have to work anymore. Everybody has their own hallucinations of what they think is going to happen at the times of Geula. But that's not the essence of what it is. Is it true that maybe no one's going to get sick anymore and maybe no one's going to have to work and maybe money will be falling from the trees and maybe all these wonderful things and the Shidduch crisis is going to be solved and all the problems that we face are no longer going to be facing our community? Maybe all of that is true, but that's not why we want a Geula. We want a Geula because the Navi says, Sos asiz Hashem, tagel nafshi belokai, kechasan yichayin pe'er. Our Geula is likened to that chasana, to that wedding. And achen vei, how horrible it is when a chassan and kala stand under the chuppah and the only thing that excites them at that moment is all the extremities that are around them, is all the extras, is all the things that are just on the periphery and they're missing the essence of what this moment is, the gravity of the moment. What is the excitement all about? And that, says the Dubna Magid, is what the Navi teaches us 
when you aspire toward a geula, when you think about what this means for us, it's not about all the ancillary issues that may come around, but it's also, and more importantly, it is about this opportunity to finally be reunited with HaKadosh Baruch to finally have an appreciation and understanding of what it means to live a life of umalaha aretz deyas Hashem. That everywhere we go, we're just going to have a complete and total understanding and appreciation for what life living with HaKadosh Baruch Hu is all about. It's something that's lacking. It's something that we don't have. You know, you go to Eretz Yisrael, even though it's not a total geula today, but you go to Eretz Yisrael and you see around Yom Tif time, look at the difference of sukkahs there and sukkahs here. Look at the difference of Hanukkah and Yerushalayim and Hanukkah here. We don't feel it here. Here, we light our menorah, we have a little Hanukkah masiva, we do something, but otherwise, it's a regular day. There, you feel it. It's in the air. The whole country is transformed. It's Hanukkah, it's Purim, it's Pesach, it's Sukkot, it's Shavuos, it's Rosh Hashanah. That's what we look forward to. Umalaha Aretz Deyas Hashem, to have that opportunity to be reunited with HaKadosh Baruch Hu and to commit ourselves to that relationship. And so long as we are in Gullus, we don't have the opportunity to have a full appreciation for what that even can feel like, for what it can look like. And that, says the Navi, is what we look forward to. That's one of the Shiva Dinachemta that we're going to read after Tishabav. When we have the opportunity to remind ourselves of what the experience of Geula is really all about. It's an opportunity for us to once again be reunited with our beloved as the Navi in Shira Shiram writes in such explicit, beautiful detail, our whole relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu is about a marriage. Our whole relationship with the Rebona Shalom was one that is so powerful. I know I said I'm going to end. Allow me to share one more thing. Sorry. One more thing. I just came back from Camp Simcha. I always spent two weeks in Camp Simcha in the beginning of the summer. And every year, they have a question and answer session on Shabbos afternoon with the oldest division. And I'm always terrified to do this because I don't have answers. So I always start off by saying I have the right to say I don't know. And most of the time I do say I don't know. But here we go. First question. 23-year-old girl who was diagnosed with a very terrible tumor when she was in seminary. So she lived a completely healthy life until 18. And then she got sick. Her life will never be the same again. And she turns to me and she says, you know, now she's not from... She gave everything up. And she said, you know, have you ever read Shira Shira? I said, yeah. So you know that we describe our relationship with HaKadosh Baruch Hu as one of a marriage. I said, yes. So can I ask you, why do I have such an abusive spouse? An amazing question. And she said, you know, in our community, we have organizations that deal with people who are living with abusive spouses. Is there any organization I can go to to get me out of this marriage? I don't want to be in this marriage. That's Gullus. That's Haster Aster Panay. That's HaKadosh Baruch Hu, the lack of appreciation and understanding and insight that we have for HaKadosh Baruch Hu in our experience here in this world. And that's one example of a million examples where we just are not at a place right now to really understand what does it mean when we talk about our relationship with the Rebona Shalom as a marriage? Do you feel that way? Do you interact with HaKadosh Baruch Hu in that way? Do you speak to him as one of, of a spouse? Do you interact with the Rebona Shalom in a way that a spouse would interact with the other? And sometimes it's not just that we don't feel that way, it's we feel the opposite. 
And that, says the Navi, is what's lacking in our experience. That's what we look forward to. will come back and reignite that sense of appreciation, that sense of understanding, that love, and that fervor that a couple is supposed to have for each other. That's what we look forward to. The day of Sosa Sizba Hashem, Talgel Nafshi Belokai Hirotzom. We should have the opportunity to be back with Binyan Beis Amigdash, Bimheira Vi Amenu, Amen Vi Amen. I wish everyone a wonderful Shabbos.